The story I'd like to tell you is the story of the worst sin I ever committed. I don't know why some of you are laughing. <laughs> oh, you know, come on. That was, that was lame. Um, no, Cranfield yelled out, buying a Mac, which I don't know. Pretty sure Jesus would have bought a Mac, but... No, the worst sin, uh, very seriously now, the, the, uh, the worst sin I ever committed was um, at a camp where I was a counselor. It's called Camp Timberledge, and it was the summer after my freshman year of college, and I had signed up to have this summer job um, for peanuts uh, working at a camp as a counselor for six weeks or something like that. And uh, I arrived there and met a couple of the other counselors who had come from my college to, to work at this camp as well. And I was particularly interested in one of the counselors there, uh, a young woman, um, who was kind of, she kind of caught my eye somewhat. She's not as pretty as my wife, um, but she was, she was summer camp cute. Um, <laughs> summer camp cute. And uh, so I decided I'd like to get to know her a little bit and uh, proceeded to do that over the next couple of days. And one of the first things I learned about her was that she had a boyfriend back in Rochester, an RIT student. Um, so apparently I was not going to get to know her any better that summer, uh, except that I decided that I still wanted to. And I didn't really care that she had a boyfriend. And so I, uh, I turned on my charm, such as it was, and by the end of the summer, she didn't have a boyfriend anymore. Well, she did, but it was me. I'm not particularly proud of the fact that I did that. And let me make another confession. That is actually not the worst sin I ever committed. Probably not even close. But I don't really want to tell you the worst sin I ever committed. I'm sort of worried what you might think of me. Telling a lie in a sermon, that's a pretty bad sin. Um, just did that. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, we all have skeletons in the closet. Is that true? If I asked you right now to stand up, turn to your neighbor, and tell that person the worst sin you ever committed, you would do one of two things. You would either refuse or you'd lie in church on Easter Sunday, <laughs> like I just did. And honestly, if I asked you to stand up and tell the person next to you what's the worst sin you committed this past week, for some of us, that would still be cause to refuse or even lie about it. No one wants to talk about their worst sin. None of you want to talk about that sexual issue that's been dogging you since high school that you can't seem to get past. None of you want to talk about the kind of shady business deal you pulled off last month because it finances your family's well-being. None of you want to talk about the fact that maybe you have a violent temper and that has erupted in the past and you're terrified that it's going to erupt again 
and you're going to cause somebody harm. But we have to talk about these things. Because we all need to know that God's grace is the only thing that's holding us up. We have to talk about these things because we need to know that God's grace is the thread that holds us over a pit. We have to talk about these things because we all need to know that God's grace is that broken piece of wood that's keeping us afloat in the wreckage of our lives. We have to talk about these things because we need to know that God's grace is the only drop of water we have in the desert that we travel. Without God's grace, we would be in what theologians call serious trouble. (laughs) You understand the concept of God's grace? In all seriousness, theologically, we define that as unmerited favor. You know, God being willing to accept us based on the good that somebody else did in our place, his son Jesus. In spite of our shortcomings and our sins and that stuff that keeps dogging us, God loves us and wants to fix us. We're doing this series called Failed Christians. And the point that I want you to understand is that every Christian is a failed Christian. I am, you are, you are, you are, you are. Depending on where you are in life, that may either be a great comfort to you or deeply disturbing to you. If you're not a Christian, you're going, yeah? (laughs) They should probably be aware of the fact that they are all failed Christians. (laughs) Because I sure see it. Every Christian is a failed Christian. So let me say to you this morning, welcome to the club. The fact that every Christian is a failed Christian ought to be fairly obvious to us based only on our experience and what we can see around us. But as a pastor, I recognize the fact that sometimes you like to have large amounts of Scripture thrown at you to prove things, and boy, do I have some for you this morning. (laughs) We actually don't need to go very far, but I'm going to give you a couple of different examples. But we could look at Paul's letter to the Romans. In chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, he goes on this litany, which is essentially a series of quotations from the Old Testament, primarily from the Psalms. This is chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. We are all under the power of sin, as it is written... There is no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who has understanding. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is no one who shows kindness. There is not even one. Their throats are opened graves. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of vipers is under their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery are in their paths, 
and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Does that describe some of us? It's pretty powerful poetic language. Some of you heard that phrase, the, no one who shows kindness, and you thought to yourself, I am not a very kind person. You heard that phrase, they use their tongues to deceive, and you re- remembered the lie you told somebody yesterday. You or maybe I heard that phrase, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Thought about the profanity that you sometimes use excessively. Maybe you heard the phrase, ruin and misery are in their paths. You started to think back over the course of your life and how you seem to make people around you miserable by treating them terribly. Welcome to the club. Just a few verses later, Paul describes this in a way that's a little bit less dramatic because it's not quoting poetry, but it's actually a little bit more direct. And you may have heard this verse before. This is from 3.22 and 23 and 24. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God They are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, there are two phrases in that short little verses there that you need to understand. The first one is that all have sinned, and this is what I've been harping on at you. Every Christian is a failed Christian. All have sinned. We all fall short. The second phrase is the hope that comes on the heels of the first phrase. They are now justified by his grace as a gift. Not as something that you earned. Not as something that you did to fix the stuff that you did before. And now you're even with the house. As a gift. You're made right. And of course that is the message of Easter. So you thought I'd forgotten. (laughs) It's Easter, right? I know that you want to hear this good news that we preach on Easter Sunday. But in my mind, the good news doesn't quite make sense until you hear the bad news first. The bad news is that every Christian is a failed Christian. The good news is that Christ conquered death. Most of you know this story by now, whether you believe it or not, this, this crazy, wild, ridiculous story that is at the center of our Christian faith. Pastor Brian read a passage, I think it was from Matthew before the service, and uh, um, I'm going to read a passage from the Gospel of Mark, which is very similar. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Why does that matter to us? I mean, we, we believe, hopefully, if you're a Christian, you believe that Jesus raised from the dead. 
The whole point of the resurrection is that Jesus defeated death. And in so doing, freed us from the weight of our own sin. Set us free from the guilt. And not just that, but gives us a chance to repair the wrongs in our own life and in the lives around us that we've touched with our failure. So if you are kind of sinking under the weight of your own sin and your failure, let me say this quick sentence from St. John Chrysostom, one of the great early fathers of the church, and I'll give you a little bit more of it later when we take communion together. But on his Easter sermon, he says that, let no one mourn that he has fallen again and again and again and again and again. For forgiveness has risen from the grave. So if we're all failed Christians, what do we do now? Assuming even that we have been forgiven of that. Well, hopefully we'll begin to have a better understanding over that over the next few weeks. We've got one more Bible verse for you that I think is kind of a key for living out life as a failed Christian. It's from Philippians chapter 2. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Again, there's a tension here, and in so much of Scripture, there's tension, and you have to balance it. And this is why Christians get in such bloody fights and beat each other up. This verse is kind of a source of argument at different times in church history because it says two different things that different people from different theological streams want to grab onto to the detriment of the other. First, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which kind of implies that you have some work to do yourself. But then it also says, for it is God who is at work in you, enabling you to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I think sometimes those of us who really like John Wesley and that kind of stuff, not that you care if you don't know the theological names, want to latch on to that first part. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And those of us who really like John C. <laughs> Calvin want to latch on to that second one and say it's God who is at work in you and there's nothing you can do. And the reality is that they are both true. How is that for postmodern? Okay. What do we do as failed Christians? Well, we take that grace that's being poured over us and we pour it out ourselves. There's two places I need you to pour grace, at least over the next four weeks as we're, as we're admitting that we're failed Christians. After that, you can go back to whatever you're doing, I guess. But I want you to give grace to other people. First of all, to other Christians. 
because God knows that whatever they're doing, you're doing something else over here. And I want you to understand that too. And I want you to, to give God's grace to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Understanding that some people may struggle with certain things more than others. But remember that we are all failed Christians. I also want you to give that grace to others who are not Christians. Which probably means putting away your God-hates-fag sign if you have one. And I know that none of you do. It probably means not expecting somebody who is not yet a believer in Christ to live up to the holy moral standards that you expect of yourself, whether or not in the moment you're admitting that you screw up at that or not. I want you to pour that grace out onto other people, other Christians and people who are not yet Christians. And here's the one that's even harder for some of us. I want you to pour that grace back out on yourself and give yourself a break. I don't want you in the next few weeks to feel like you are dragged down by the weight of your own sin. You're not going to drown in a sea of wreckage because that little plank you're holding on to, God's grace, is plenty big enough to keep you afloat. And again, I'm, I'm from the John W. camp more than the John C. camp personally. So I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want you to do that. But, man, a lot of times that is not the problem we have. A lot of times we don't have a problem with fear and trembling. We have a problem loving ourselves the way God loves us. Even one more verse. And this is from Paul later in the book of Romans, after he's gone on this litany, citing the Psalms, and then after he's said it right out, all have sinned, he talks about himself a few chapters later, in chapter 7. And I want you to imagine yourselves saying this words, these words. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. For I know that nothing good dwells within me. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Some of you have thought those words to yourself sitting in front of your computer monitor at 2 in the morning. Some of you have thought those words to yourself as you cheated on your taxes one more time, cut a little bit of money back out of the government, kept it for yourself. Some of you have thought those thoughts as you went on one more profanity-laced tirade the driver in the other lane. It's common to us all. We are all failed Christians. Welcome to the club. So over the next few weeks, <clears throat> we're going to talk about what it means to be failed Christians. 
We're going to look at three scriptural vignettes that demonstrate what is sort of a long history of failure among God's people. Next week, Jason's going to share uh, the story of Nicodemus, who, like many of you, was highly educated, very cerebral, and sought out Jesus late at night and said, how can these things be? We're talking about how difficult it can be to grasp faith, whether it's grasping that faith for the first time or holding on to the faith that we've had for years and just sometimes doesn't make a bit of sense to us. Then the following Sunday on the, on the 6th, Brian's going to talk to us about the story of King David, who um, committed a pretty bad series of sins, starting with lust and moving on to adultery and then maybe a murder, and it was kind of messy there. King David, you know the one that Jesus came out of his line? We're going to talk about how sin can beat us down start to take control of our lives, and it's one after the other after the other, and before you know it, you've lost control. And then in the last week of our series on the 13th, Jason's going to come back up again and tell us the story of the, uh, the first historically documented yuppie. You may know him as the rich young ruler. A man who could not bring himself to do the, the one simple but difficult good act that Jesus asked of him and went away sad. We're all bad at doing good sometimes. And that's what's going to be our theme on the, the last week of the series. And in addition to those great Bible stories, which I'm excited about, we're going to have some great personal stories from some of you, part of this community right here, Because again, we have to talk about these things. And half a dozen of you in the room, either this morning or tonight, um, were brave enough uh, to to come and, and be videotaped, talking about some of the things that you struggle with. And I commend you for doing that. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna see parts of these stories in the next few weeks. And I don't want to say I'm not excited about the scriptural part of it, but I will say that I'm very excited, even more excited, honestly, about the personal stories that we're going to hear in the coming weeks, because we have to talk about these things. So I do hope that you will join us for the next few weeks of this great series, Failed Christians. I want to give you a little bit of a taste of what's coming up um, in the coming weeks, and then we'll take communion together. So I want to roll a video here that gives a little teaser of what's coming up here in the coming weeks. Talked and you 
My name is Del, and I'm a failed Christian. Christian. ultimate symbol of God's grace to us is the body of his son Jesus, broken for our sins, and Christ's blood shed for the forgiveness of many. And each week we celebrate that sacrifice at the Lord's table. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you to come to the table if you're a follower of Jesus and take a piece of the bread, tear it, dip it in either a cup of wine or of juice, and remember his body broken, his blood shed, and receive it as a means of God's grace in your life. Let's pray. Almighty God, we do confess to you that we have sinned and that we are failed Christians. And yet we're reminded on this holy day that Christ's sacrifice and his resurrection make it possible for us to live in your grace, to be forgiven for our hearts to change. I give you thanks for these elements, the bread and the cup. We pray that they would be significant reminders to us, the sacrifice of Jesus, and that as we take in faith, we would receive that grace from you. That though we would be part of the failed Christians club. We could begin or continue the process of growing closer to you, of working out our salvation with fear and trembling so that others would come to know you and so that injustice would be rooted out here in our city and around the world give you thanks on this day as we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. The table will be open for the rest of our time together. We're going to sing some more songs and worship in a minute. Uh, you can come as you're called.